Thank you, Matthew. Grab my Bible. Well, great to be together this morning. You want people to sign up, don't you, for the ladies' breakfast? Sign up online or on a connect card. It's just an idea of numbers for catering. Right, we are continuing a series in First Peter, if you're here for the first time. It's great to have you here with us this morning. My name's Matthew, I'm one of the team, and uh, we've got, we're one church, we meet in two locations, and usually when I'm speaking, I speak at both. So I've just been up at our other congregation at Alder Road, then rushed down here through the storm. I love, I love a storm. Yeah. It's fantastic, everybody's moaning, but it's great. <laughs> the elements, love it. Anyway. This morning, we are continuing our series, which we're from First Peter we call Faithful and Exiled. The Apostle Peter wrote a letter to believers in what we think of now as Turkey. And these were people who had, uh, were living in the towns where they'd been born and raised, but he describes them as foreigners, as aliens, as exiles. And that's because they'd come to faith in Jesus, and that had made them feel like strangers in their own land. And we're looking at how that applies to us in the 21st century in BCP. And uh, today's theme is about how we can face the man in exile. And to help explain what I mean by that, we're going to look at a little clip from one of my favorite movies, School of Rock, in which Mr. Schneebly rails against the man. Let's go. What, you want to learn something? Yes, I do. What, you want me to teach you something? You want to learn something? All right, here's a useful lesson for you. Give up. Just quit. Because in this life, you can't win. Yeah, you can try. But in the end, you're just gonna lose big time because the world is run by the man. Who? The man. Oh, you don't know the man? Oh, well, he's everywhere. In the White House, down the hall, Miss Mullins. She's the man. And the man ruined the ozone, and he's burning down the Amazon, and he kidnapped Shamu and put her in a chlorine tank, okay? And there used to be a way to stick it to the man. It was called rock and roll. <laughs> but guess what? Oh, no. The man ruined that, too, with a little thing called MTV! <laughs> so don't waste your time trying to make anything cool or pure or awesome, because the man's just going to call you a fat, washed-up loser and crush your soul. So do yourselves a favor and just give up! Oh. Mr. Schneebly, it's after 10. On Tuesdays, the children have music class now. Right, okay. Uh, good work, people. We will continue with our lecture on the man when we return. Have a good music class. Brilliant. Love that film. Sorry, the sinking was a little bit out. The man was in the system. What Ned Schneebly is saying there is that there is so much injustice and corruption in the world and... Power is just located in the corporations and whoever. What can you do? Just give up, resign yourself. The man is going to ruin it all. And it can feel often in our world that things, the system is just stacked up against us and it's easy just to retreat to a kind of a resigned cynicism. Now, what the Apostle Peter does in this letter, in the passage we're looking at today, is to show us a better way in which to face the man. I'm going to read from verse 11. If you've got one of these Bibles, it's on page 1218. It'll appear on the screen as well. Peter writes this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 
Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is an important passage. It's a profoundly challenging passage to us for all kinds of reasons, some of which we're going to dig into this morning and over the next two weeks. We're going to spend three weeks kind of around this passage. Uh, next week and the week after, we're going to spend more time thinking about what it means to be a Christian in the workplace and what the Word of God would say to us about that, and also what it means to be a citizen, how to live as a Christian citizen in our society. So we're going to dig deeper into those things, but today I want to look at the big picture of what this passage teaches, and to help us to see, it teaches us not to fear earthly authorities and powers. Why? Well, because God is the ultimate authority, and it teaches us to serve and honor God, and that we can even do that as we submit to people who deny God. And it teaches us to follow the example of Jesus, even if that means suffering. This is important stuff. It's challenging stuff. Let's pray for God's help. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And I pray that we would receive it, each one of us. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive from you whatever it is we need to hear from you today. Whatever from this passage is particularly relevant to us. May our spirits be opened to hear. May we have open ears to hear the word of God and apply it in our hearts, receive it in our spirits, and live it out in our day-to-day life uh, as, this, as this week comes. This I ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Right, three things. First thing, don't fear the man. Don't fear the man. A repeated theme in this letter is not to give in to fear. And the reason that Peter writes this is because those he is writing to have got lots of reasons to be fearful. They're living in alien territory. They're in a hostile environment, and they have reason to fear. They've got reason to fear the earthly authorities, and they've got reason to fear their bosses. And part of the challenge for us in reading a passage like this, or reading the Bible 
as a whole is to try and imagine ourselves into the world in which it was written. And, of course, the world, the context in which Peter is writing is infinitely harsher than the world in which we live. Think about how people lived 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire. Governors and masters had the power of life and death over the people under their authority. There was, in the workplace, no health and safety legislation. There were no workers' rights. There were no unions. Corporal punishment in the workplace was routine and standard. If your master wanted to flog you, he was fully entitled to do so. If your master wanted to kill you, he could do that as well. And the state exercised its authority through means that are for us just abhorrent. The state would torture people routinely. And the state, of course, would execute people routinely as well. So this was a, a world which is just mu a much harsher place in which to live than, thank God, is our Western world today. And the Christians to whom Peter writes are in a particularly vulnerable position because their faith in Jesus is making them stand out. It's making them evidently different from other people. And that's, that's always dangerous. If you look different, if you stand out, and you know, that Japanese proverb, the tall nail gets hammered down. If you stand out, you're going to get hammered down. And for these believers, because they put their faith in Jesus, that was making them stand out, and that was dangerous. That's why Peter describes them as foreigners, as exiles. And they could easily have been perceived as being troublemakers. You see this actually throughout the this story of the New Testament. Jesus is seen as a troublemaker. He comes preaching a message about the kingdom of God. It's very threatening to earthly powers. That's why the earthly powers, that's why the Roman power and the Jewish authorities conspire together and they get Jesus killed. That's why they crucify him because he is threatening to them in their authority. And Jesus' followers always look threatening to authority as well. In the Roman context, there's this strange group of people who are believing in a Jewish criminal who the Roman state has executed, but whom they are claiming is now alive and is God and who is king and whom they're following. This looks like a group of people who might be out to cause rebellion, sedition, trouble, danger. And so the authorities would have been alert to this seditious, smelling group of people. More than that, think about their context. As is made clear by what Peter writes, some of these believers were slaves. They were owned by other people. Now again, for us in our period in history, it's difficult for us to understand what's going on because as soon as we think slavery, our minds immediately jump to the West African slave trade, the horrors of that. Thousands and thousands of people being taken from West Africa, dying en route in their masses and that hideous transatlantic crossing, being taken to uh, slave on the plantations in the Caribbean and the southern states of the U.S. That's our mental picture of slavery. And uh, slavery in the Roman Empire had many things which correspond with that, but also in significant ways was different. One really significant difference is that you couldn't tell somebody was a slave by how they looked or what language they spoke or even what occupation they did. Slavery in the Roman Empire wasn't dependent upon a particular ethnic group being enslaved. 
You could come from any kind of ethnic background. Your skin could be any color. You could speak any language, and you could actually have any kind of job, but you might still be a slave. And some slaves in the Roman Empire rose to positions of considerable prestige. Some slaves in the Roman Empire were effectively salaried executives who would have had slaves of their own and real authority. Of course, that wasn't true for most. Most slaves did the worst jobs. That's what they were there for. They were there to carry out the poo from the family and scrub the floors and look after the animals and just do the most menial and demeaning tasks. That's why they were owned. And of course, the reality was that whether you were one of these slaves who rose to a position of prominence or whether you were a slave just working in the sewers, you were owned. You were owned by somebody, which meant that you weren't free. You were possessed. You, you in the end, had no authority. Even slaves who had authority, they were always held captive. They were slaves and if their master grew displeased with them, the master could flog them, the master could beat them, the master could do what he wanted with them. So it's easy to understand why Christian slaves are feeling fearful. What they're doing in putting their faith in Jesus is disowning the gods that their masters follow. Their masters would have had gods that they'd have worshipped and follow, and now these slaves are saying, we're not going to worship your God, Master, we're going to worship Jesus. And that puts them in a very vulnerable position. Their masters could have beaten, flogged them for their belief in Christ. They were in a terribly vulnerable place. Now, our position, praise the Lord, is far less precarious, but we can still, still feel fearful. It might be that we just have a sense of powerlessness in the face of the systems of the world, whether it's the president in the White House, or the corporations burning up the ozone, or MTV ruining rock and roll, or Miss Mullins down the corridor. They're just the systems of the world can cause us to feel fearful, and we can be nervous that our faith will make us stand out in a way that will cause us trouble. So our situation is different, but we can have the same kind of fears as these believers did. Also, I think in our context, very often our problem perhaps more than being fearful of the man, is just being resentful of the man, resentful of those who seem to hold the strings of power. And Peter's counsel to us here is, watch out for your soul. There's a war going on. Recognize the reality. Expect to live like a foreigner because you have been called to follow a different lord. And yes, that does seem to put you in a position of vulnerability, but this is what you're called to. Uh, we're quoting a lot in this series from a book called Evangelism as Exiles by Elliot Clark. And in that book, Elliot Clark says this, On a personal level, we have plenty more room for fear. By standing up for Christ, we run the risk of forfeiting promotions or positions, of missing out on tenure or a contract. We might even lose our families. But this shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said that he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. We have much to lose. Yet none of that, none of that, justifies Christians being terrified. We must not, according to Peter, tremble in fear at the thought of surrendering a job or business at a failed school board initiative or a particular Supreme Court decision because if we do, we're preaching the completely wrong gospel to the world. 
We're telling them our greatest fear is the loss of money and power and influence, the loss of our beloved comfort. But as long as this is the case, we show that our fear and our gospel is no different from theirs. Oh, that's a challenging quote about a challenging letter and this challenging passage. For Peter, the biggest threat that these believers face is not hostility from the world in which they live. The biggest threat they face is allowing their souls to become corroded. There's a war going on, a war for the soul. There are sinful desires that can seize us. Worldliness can begin to rule us. And in the context Peter's writing here, it seems that some of these sinful desires which would wage war against our souls are things like cowardliness. Cowardliness is actually a sin. When we become cowardly in the face of the power of the man, that's something which wages war against our soul. If we give in to bitterness and resentment, that's a sin. Ned Schneebly's railing against the man, which leads just to a resigned cynicism, that's a sin. Peter's antidote to this, though, is not what we might want to hear. What Peter says is that we are to honor God by submitting to the man. Peter says this, so difficult for us. Submit yourselves to every human authority. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters. Now, this isn't what we want to hear. This is countercultural, it's counterintuitive, and we probably feel that it's going to be counterproductive. Why, if you're facing hostility, would you just submit yourself to those who have authority? Why do that? But look at how Peter qualifies this. We can put the words in which I deliberately list, miss, missed out on that slide. Peter writes, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. What Peter is doing here is not encouraging a spineless passivity. He's not saying just be spineless, cowardly. No, quite the opposite. What he's doing is teaching a courageous witness. When you boldly, courageously choose to submit to those who have authority... That is a way in which you honor God and witness to the truth of who Jesus is. Now, Peter urges his hearers to live as free people. Verse 16, live as free people. It's a remarkable thing for Peter to say. We can easily skip over this. When we read this passage, the thing that stands out to us is his instructions for slaves to obey because that seems to us all wrong. What we can skip over is him saying, live as free people, because we just assume that we're free people, because that's the Western mindset. But this was an extraordinary thing for Peter to say. It wasn't, it wasn't a Roman or Greek concept to say to this mass of people, live as free, because they weren't free. By definition, a whole bunch of them were slaves, and yet Peter says, live as free people. It's actually this, this revolutionary notion of freedom in the gospel, which in many ways has shaped the way that we think in the West. The reason that we have our Western ideas of individual liberty, personal freedom, autonomy. Where we get those from, although they've often been very corrupted now, where we get those from is from the gospel. 
It's from the instructions of the Bible. It's from what the apostles say. Live as free people. These people would have had no concept of personal freedom before. They were slaves. They were subject. You just did what the people above you said you should do. And then Peter says, live as free people. They have been emancipated by Christ Jesus. Like the Israelites led out of Egypt, these believers have experienced an exodus. They've come into freedom in Christ. This is such a powerful message for those who don't yet know Christ. This is an amazing invitation to you. Where are you going to find true freedom? Is it going to be by being your own boss? Is it going to be trying to get ahead your own way? No, the way to true freedom is by coming to Christ and finding the liberty of him, dealing with your sin and reconciling you to God and adopting you into a family and whatever your circumstance and situation in life, declaring that you are free. For those of us who know Jesus, we need, we need to celebrate our freedom, our liberty. In our lives, where often it can feel that we're constrained and trapped by the circumstances of life or maybe by particular individuals or institutions, we've got to remember who we are. We're, we're free in Christ. What is our status? It's liberty. That's who we are. Now, Peter says that we can use our freedom either for good or for ill. We can use it selfishly. An evil use of freedom is to say, well, I can do whatever I like. Being free means that I do whatever I want. Peter says not to do that. He says to be godly in our use of freedom. And a godly use of freedom, this is where it's challenging for us, a godly use of freedom is to serve others. Look at what he says. Live as free people. Live as God's slaves. Don't stop being a slave. Become a different kind of slave. What are you enslaved to? Might be enslaved to an earthly master. Might be enslaved to sinful desires. You might be enslaved to ungodly ambition. You might be enslaved to Love Island or whatever it might be. You can be enslaved. You're not to be enslaved by those things. You're to find freedom by finding your slavery in God's recognizing him as Lord and Master, and actually what he brings you into is liberty, freedom, life, joy. When you remember who you belong to, when you remember you belong to God, that brings you into freedom. Who's this person who's seeking to exercise tyranny over your life? Who are they? Well, who are they compared to God? They're nothing. What's this situation that seems to be dominating? What are these powers in the world? What are these huge corporations? Well, compared to God, they are nothing, and they will come to nothing. The White House, Amazon, Miss Mullins, all come to nothing in the end because God is king. And we know who we are in him. That's where we find our freedom. Remember who you belong to. This empowers us to live in a way which is right. It's about a courageous, what, what Peter's saying here is be courageous in submitting to those who do not submit to God because when you do that, it honors God and it helps others to see who God is. Now this really messes with our minds as a uh, a framework that uh, um, some uh, sociologists came up with to explain how strange we are in the West. It's that we're weird. We're weird in the West. Weird is uh, Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. And this is weird because there's never been a society apart from ours in the last century uh, for, for whom all these factors are true. And the way that we in the West think about life and the world is 
utterly different from how any other society anywhere else in the world has ever thought. We, we think our way of thinking is just normal and natural and how everybody's always thought and should think, but it's weird. No other society has been like us, educated in the way we are, industrialized in the way we are, rich in the way we are, and democratic in the way we are. We're at a unique point and place in history. And this means that for us, with our weird minds, it's so challenging to hear what Peter says here, which is submit. Submit to the authorities. Slaves, submit to your masters. It messes with us. But what we Christians need to do is be foreigners to the weirdness. What we need to do is to see that what Peter is urging here when he says submit is not that we become subservient. No, we're not subservient because we're free. What he's talking about is a submission which is, in, is courageous and which is empowered. He's not saying to these believers, cringe. He's not saying cringe before the emperor, cringe before governors. He's not saying, slaves, cringe before your masters. No, he's saying, you're free, and in your freedom, courageously choose to submit. Because in doing that, actually, ultimately, you're honoring God, and you're witnessing to the reality of the power of Christ in you. What Peter describes here, actually, is a, it's a framework for getting our lives in order, if life feels chaotic or if we feel fearful, what, what Peter describes here gives us a, a shape. There's some, there's some practical how-tos here for how to bring your life into order. Especially verse 17, I think. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. That's a four-part recipe to live a successful balanced, happy, free life. Respect everyone. It's far more fruitful to respect people than to live in resentment or disdain or hostility. But it takes actually real courage to do this. Because I don't know about you, but certainly for me, I don't find it easy to respect everyone. There are some people who I find it easy to respect because of the quality of their character or the thing that they do. But there are many people who naturally I do not find it easy to respect because the quality of the character or the things they do don't seem to earn respect. They're people either to be ignored or sworn at or generally abused because they just don't seem worthy of respect. That would be my natural heart. And Peter says, respect everyone. How do you do that? It takes real courage. Actually, it takes real freedom. The only way that you should, can show respect to everyone is by knowing the freedom that Christ brings us. Christ frees us to be able to show respect to people who in our natural heart we would have no respect for whatsoever. Elliot Clark says this, you're called to show honor to every single person, not just the people who deserve it, not just those who earn our respect, not just the ones who treat us agreeably, not just the politicians we vote for or the immigrants who are legal, not just the customers who pay their bills or the employees who do their work, not just the neighborly neighbors, not just kind pagans or honest Muslims, not just the helpful wife or the good father. The time is coming and is here now when the world won't listen to our gospel simply because they respect us. However, we might, they might listen if we respect them. Man, that is so challenging. How on earth are we going to live in a way which shows respect to all? Only by knowing courage and freedom in Christ. 
Second thing in that verse, so powerful, love the family of believers. Peter expects a family loyalty amongst these Christians. Throw yourself into it, he says. You become a Christian. You come in faith to Jesus. What does that mean? It means you get adopted as a child of God. It means that you are joined to Christ and his people. As we break bread week by week, we celebrate this. One Lord, one family, one body, one baptism, one people. Get in, commit, show family loyalty in your commitment, in your serving, in your sacrifice for each other. Honor the family of God. Respect everyone. Love the family. Fear God. The fear of God is a fear that is not fearful. It's this, these different categories, frameworks we have to get into our thinking when we become Christians. To be a slave of God means freedom. To fear God means living without fear. To fear God means ordering our priorities. It means that we see he's Lord, he's king, he's sovereign. He does have authority. He is Lord. He rules over everything. No matter how the world looks, no matter what's happening in our lives at this moment, he's still God. How are you going to live as a slave? You've got a cruel master who flogs you. How are you going to survive that? Peter says the way you're going to survive that is by fearing God more than you fear your master. It gives a courage. It gives a dignity. Actually, in Elliot Clark's book, he gives a number of beautiful illustrations about slaves in the southern states of America and demonstrations of courage and freedom displayed by them even as they experience the horrors of slavery. It's the amazing power of the gospel. You can be physically, humanly a slave, oppressed, beaten, but you can walk in freedom and dignity when you fear God. And honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. Be a model citizen. The empire is expecting Christians to cause trouble. Peter says, we're not here to cause trouble. We're here to build up, not to tear down. Now, this four-part practical how-tos, respect everyone, love the family, fear God, honor the emperor. If, you, if we can live that way, if we can courageously, freely live that way, it demonstrates the genuineness of our faith. It witnesses to the world who Jesus is. It is a way that we honor God, and it brings life into order, and it dampens our fears. We live this way. Not fearing the man, even as we submit to him. And then finally, we're to follow Jesus, not the man. We can be fearful of the man. We can be resentful of him. Too easily, we can find ourselves just following the man. We just go along with the way of the world without really thinking about it. We just use the world's methods and share its values. And that's true whether you vote Labour or Conservative or watch Netflix or the BBC, read the Mail or the Guardian. We can forget that we're foreigners. We just go native. We can forget there's a war for our souls. And Peter says here that we're to live such good lives among the pagans. Peter's saying to them, look, don't withdraw from the world. Don't go and hide away in some Christian ghetto. Now, of course, for many of these people, that wasn't even an option. If you were a slave, you, had no, you couldn't run away and hide in a Christian ghetto. You had no choice. Actually, there were, there's many accounts of slaves running away in the Roman Empire, but if you did so, the reprisals were terrifying. You, many of them were executed or if they weren't executed, they'd be branded on the foreheads that everybody would see forever, a brand declaring this person was a runaway slave. 
These believers had no option. They couldn't run away from the world. They had to be in it. But Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans that they see the truth of the gospel you declare. Live in the world, but don't be ruled by it. There's this subtle but massive difference between submitting to the governors and the masters and blurring with the world. We're called to submit, but not to blur. We're to be in, but not of. We're to live among, but to be distinct. And in this, we're to follow Jesus. Peter describes how Jesus faced those who accused him. Verse 22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Peter says that we're to live like this too. We're to follow in Christ's steps. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Jesus walked free of sin and there was no deceit in his mouth. This is the radical example of Christ and this is the radical call of the gospel. We're to walk free of of sin and not have any deceit in our mouths. Jesus never thought, did, said anything he shouldn't. Extraordinary. And he is our example. He's our model. And wherever we find ourselves, whether it's slaves at the bottom of the heap or in a place of authority, we're called to demonstrate Christ, even, actually, especially when to do so is costly. But how do we do this, Peter? How do we walk free of sin and with no deceit in our mouths? It's impossible. Peter says, we do it through Christ. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd's an overseer of your souls. What Peter says here is that he who never sinned has carried our sin. Jesus who never sinned has enabled us to be declared righteous. That when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, the deceit of our mouths. What he sees is the purity of his son, Jesus. And that empowers us to then live in a way which honors him. We were like sheep who've gone astray, and now we have been found. Peter says that Jesus is our shepherd and overseer. That's, that's such a beautiful phrase. Jesus is our pastor, and he's our boss. Might be that you need pastoring today, that you're feeling bruised and beaten up, as so many of these believers must have done. Who's Jesus to you? He's your shepherd, he's your pastor. He's the one who cares for you. He's the one who's able to bind you up and look after you. And he is your overseer. He's your boss. Who's your boss? Is it the person who employs you at work and is a bit of a monster? Is it that life situation which seems to dominate and control you? Is that family setting where your family's a nightmare and they seem to just make your life miserable? Is it Amazon or Google or whoever it is? Who's the boss? He is our boss, Jesus. 
If we serve him and know him, we're brought into this place of freedom and of confidence. Knowing Jesus as our pastor, knowing Jesus as our boss, means that we can face the man confidently, courageously, boldly, bravely, and be empowered to live godly lives, even in our exile. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, and we'll come back to worship. And lastly, come straight away to break bread together this morning. Let's pray. Let's open our hearts to him. Lord, I pray for us here in this building on a windy morning as we consider the injustices of the world, as we are reminded day by day of the physical threats to our planet, as we hear on the news day by day an expanding virus in China, as we see the power of the man in the corporations and the political systems, and so often we can feel powerless, just kind of pawns in the system. I pray for us, Lord, that we, your people, would have a sense of our freedom and of our dignity, and that you'd fill us with courage. I pray that we would be able to face the man, whatever that means for us in our circumstances and situation. We'd be able to honor you by submitting even to those who don't, know you and would deny you. Give us courage to do that and boldness, Lord, in the face of a world that can be hostile. It would be, we wouldn't be cowardly about being different and try to hide, but we'd wear with pride who we are as a people of God, confidence in what you've called us to and the freedom which is ours. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's come and take bread and wine together as we return to worship. And as we do that, I think there are some particular responses that might need to make. It might be that you've never actually put your trust in Jesus. You don't follow him yet. You don't know he's your pastor. You don't know he's your boss, and you need to. If that's you, as we responding in communion is a great way. This is something which believers do. We come and take the bread. We take the wine. They represent Christ's body and blood. And... If you've never put your trust in him, this is a place you can do so. You can come and take a bit of bread and dip it in the wine and say, Jesus, I'm, I want to follow you. I want to know you as my pastor, as my boss. It might be that you're fearful today, fearful for stuff that's happened in your life. Maybe there's somebody who's making your life hell. Maybe it's things happening in the world which are scaring you. Come to Jesus and ask him to put courage in your soul, stealing your backbone. Maybe it's that you're compromised. Maybe that war against your soul, you, you haven't been fighting it, you've been going with it. Maybe you're compromised that you just flow with the world rather than living distinctly. Maybe your compromise is you're more like Ned Schneebly than you should be and just rail against the man rather than trust Jesus. If that's you, come to Jesus as we take the bread and the wine and ask him, as your pastor, as your boss, to mold your heart and bring you into that place again of liberty and freedom before him. Jesus, we come to you now. We take the bread and the wine. We recognize what these represent. We proclaim your death until you come. We recognize that by taking these, we're declaring ourselves to be your people, distinct and different And I pray that you would fill us with faith to live that way, with real courage and with real grace. 
and with true liberty. In your name we ask it. Amen. Let's come and take bread and wine. Let's worship Jesus.